you remember being in school? I know that when I was in school, there was a system with, let's say, 20, 25 kids in a classroom, a person standing up at the front. Everybody has to stay seated in their seats. They can't move anywhere. If you get out of your seat, it's a problem for a lot of teachers. You have to raise your hand. It's all very rigid. It's all very, this is how it has to be done. And you hear some educators also talking about things like education. And they say, well, if you teach to the top third of the class, the middle third will get most of it. And the bottom third, well, what can you do? And I know for myself, like when I was going through the educational system that I went through, it wasn't the normal public school system. But when I was going through that educational system, there are huge gaps. I had a number of really, really, really good teachers. And so through them, I was able to go ahead and progress and get my GED later on in life and go to college. But without those teachers, I have no idea what I would have done. There's huge gaps in the educational system. And the question really comes down to what can we do about it? us as a whole. I'm saying there's got to be numerous systems that can be put into place that can help all of us gain better education, give our kids better education, give their kids better education, and and create an educational system that really truly works for everybody. And today I have a guest who has put together just such an educational system. He calls it the grid method. And now we're going to learn more from our guest, Jeff Gargas with Teach Better. This is the Way to Greatness podcast, where we explore the journey from failure and mediocrity to success and greatness. And now your host, Ari Gunsberg. Welcome to The Way to Greatness. Today, our guest is Jeff Gargas, founder of teachbetter.com. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm I'm appreciative of being on here and excited to chat with you, man. Terrific. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm actually the co-founder of of Teach Better, and I operate as our COO um, or chief operating executive, which just really means that I do a little bit of everything. <laughs> I mean, we're a small business, so we all wear a whole bunch of hats and do a lot of things. Sure. COO, but I'm also like the CFO and the head of HR, and I do you know marketing and everything like that. But we have an awesome team uh, that helps me do all that stuff. Uh, I come from a background in the service industry and entertainment industry, and then I've started a wide variety of businesses. Some that have done okay, some that have failed really badly, uh, and finally ended up where I am now. Three-time college dropout who now works with teachers, which is it's always a sort of story to to share. So, <laughs> and I'm planning on getting into that. Yeah, I'm also I'm a father of two, a husband, um, beautiful wife, two amazing kids, and amazing, really amazing. We're going to get into some of your, the businesses that you had just mentioned a little bit later, but we had spoken before the show, and you mentioned. You went from the music industry to being a professor at Kent State to doing marketing and social media, and now you're helping the world 
through improving teaching methods. Can you help us understand this journey a little bit? Like that's, <laughs> it's yeah. a wide variety. And then you <laughs> mentioned before the college dropout, how did, all, how did that all connect? Yeah, it's been a, a roller coaster ride. When I was younger, I, I decided that I wanted to be a rock star. I mean, go figure, right? So you wanted to be a rock star. Yeah, so I wanted to be a rock star. So I was playing in bands, ended up with a specific band that we were together for a while and started doing decently just on the, the very local scene. And uh, we had decided that we were going to put a paper label on our album that we were working on, which paper label was just a fake label name to make you look better at the time. Like that was just something that we did. I I had another plan. Like my plan and my sort of my dream was to be become a big, rich and famous rock star and then start a label and help others do that. Okay. Uh, as I got older, I realized that the first part was really, really hard to do. The second part is not easy either, but the rock star thing's kind of tough to do. You know, as I was getting older and we were talking about this paper label thing, I decided I was going to start... Um, start my own record label. Um, and that's sort of where a lot of the craziness started. I, I had started some little stuff here and there and had entrepreneurship tendencies before then, but that was the kind of for my really launch into the entertainment world. And as the band eventually came to end, the, the label started to do better and I got to bring in a Marta on artist and, and we had several artists under recording contracts, manager contracts. We had a division that did, we did about 150 uh, shows a, a year at local venues here in Northeast Ohio. And, um, it was it was fun. It was you know a few years of of doing that. That's actually how I got into the professor position at Kent State University. Is that I actually taught a class on the music industry. Nice. I was an adjunctive professor there. It was actually an interesting thing that you know while I was there, all my students had more higher education than I had because I really struggled in college. I did all right in you know in school, you know going through middle school, high school, and stuff. But in college, I really struggled because really the responsibilities really put on you and I yep. just was immature I was I was a dreamer I had other things I want to do I was impatient of sitting in a class I'd rather go figure it out myself and I just didn't do well so instead of going to class I'd go on the hill and play guitar or I'd you know whatever it might be I just got frustrated with it it wasn't working which is why you know I, I tried several times didn't work out went back again later on didn't work out went back again later on it worked I was doing pretty well but then this business started taking off and I just had to step away. So here I am, three-time college dropout. And a mix of all that, so the label, did the label thing for a while and then it was a rough time in the industry. It was at the end of like the life of CDs and the whole industry was trying to figure out, all right, is it going to be this like singles thing? Is this streaming thing eventually going to happen? Whatever it might be. Right. And we were just struggling to make money and I had promised myself that I had ever, ever got to the point where I thought even for a second about taking advantage of an artist, I was done. And I was at the point where we were just struggling so much to make any kind of revenue or enough to survive that I had to step away, which was really, really difficult and tough for me. And I ended up kind of like not doing anything for a while. I just went into the service, back to the service industry where I had got my first job, I was running restaurants at this, um, started a bar with someone, helped open the restaurant, tried a few other little things eventually sort of stumbled my way into web design and which that kind of led to my social media and just online marketing in general, getting into content marketing and started my own, a firm doing that and did that for a while, uh, which is actually what led me to where I am now as I had. So it's kind of a weird story. So Chad Ostrowski is my co-founder with Teach Better. Back in the day, I actually managed his band. He was a talented rock drummer. Um, and then we, you know, after, after the label went down, we actually grew a little bit closer as friends because I coached soccer and he was a, a, a college soccer goalie. So he was helping my high school goalies out. We kind of became friends at that point. Well, then fast forward a few years later, he's a teacher. I'm running an online marketing firm and he came to me asking actually about creating an ebook. 
he had had a really rough year, a couple rough years, and was trying to figure out whether he either needed to quit teaching or figure out a way to do it better. And so he had done research and figured out what he felt were the answers to all of his issues, but there was no way to put them together. So he created what we now call the grid method, which is like our bread and butter, I guess, one of the big things that we train on and the thing that sort of started everything. And he came to me doing an ebook because he was getting stopped in the halls and a lot of questions from his colleagues asking like, how do I do what you're doing? Because he was having so much success. And he thought, maybe if I put it on the, on the internet, they can go download it. And then I can answer like more simplified yeah. questions. And the story that I tell everyone that I, with our team is that I was driving around circles in my neighborhood late at night in the rain one night, listening to what it had done for him and his students and for him as a teacher and a father and a husband. And my famous words to him were, dude, we're not just doing an ebook. <laughs> um, and from there, we started creating content, creating an online course. And here we are five years later and we're, now working with districts and I think, I think we're at five different states, six different states, but we have teachers all over the country that are utilizing the system. We have actually teachers all over the world and several other countries that are utilizing the system, taking our online courses, connecting with us all the time. We're, you know, our team's training and speaking around the country and I'm sort of, I joke about being the puppet master. I tell them where to go and try to help everything work like it's supposed to be. So it's been an interesting journey for sure. That's amazing. Just to touch back on a couple of things you said. So you were teaching at Kent State without any type of higher education other than the college that you had taken before you dropped yeah. out. Yeah. So as an adjunctive professor, you can teach in a, uh, as long as the what you're teaching is connected in some way to the profession that you're in. Oh, so okay. As an adjunct professor, you, you work underneath another professor. So I worked under a professor there. So I, you know, I did everything with the class, grades, all, all that stuff like that. But he had to put his name on it as well. So he basically had to okay. sign it the whole time. Um, yeah, it was actually an interesting when he, uh, his name's uh, Gene, when he asked me to do it, I'm, uh, I told him, I said, you know, I don't have a college degree. And he's like, ah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> the, the, the school of journalism mass communication, he was really excited about the whole idea and stuff. And I go, just wait a minute, like Gene told you I don't have a college degree. And he's like, well, do you have a high school diploma? And I said, well, yeah. He goes, can you get it? And I'm like, yeah, I can get you. He goes, Gene says you're good. We're good. And I'm like, all right. So shout out to Gene <laughs> Shelton, who's phenomenal. But uh, yeah, so it was an, yes, yeah, so I was able to get in there. And uh, honestly, those are the types of people who keep the world going. Well, it was, yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the best part about that. Actually, as, as long as we're talking about the professor thing is at the same time that I was an adjunct professor teaching and being paid by Kent State University, I actually owed them quite a bit of money from being a student who dropped out. So it was a really interesting universities or that university that university oh, i was in their system as like there was two different jeff gargas <laughs> the money and dropped out and the adjunct professor they're paying and had you know keys to the building and stuff it was a uh, fascinating <laughs> it was it was fun <laughs> um so it was just two years it was a blast eventually i got uh they had a 10-year professor who needed a who had a little bit of background in the industry as well and obviously you know it just makes more sense for yeah 100 percent. take it and i sat on i helped with them on a board for a short period of time after that trying to develop a, a program that didn't end up taking off and then that was my foray into being a professor so that's terrific <laughs> i wanted to touch upon this teach better method and, and some of the things inside of there uh, before i get into it with my specific questions i had a thought my kids are in school and they're going through the common core method does your methodology fit into common core yeah. So there's a lot of parts here. So the teach better, like teach better is just like the overall brand. So we have the teach better mindset is really just a continual and relentless pursuit of being better for your students. You're and saying teach better is more about 
the teacher focusing on being more valuable for the students than it is about any particular method. Yeah. So then within that, you know, our team is a teach better team. We train on the grid method, which is the thing that started. So the grid method is a framework for teachers to utilize mastery learning and student-centered personalized learning in their classroom. And it's a framework. So it's not a curriculum. So it works with anything. So yes, it works with Comic Core. Yes, it works with that okay. that math program that your the school runs or, or that curriculum they bought. It works with anything. It's a framework in a way that we the teachers can break down their standards and what they're doing and their learning opportunities and lessons to utilize a mastery learning framework in their classroom. And so then from there, we start training on a much, much more wide variety of things. So we pretty much any of the hot topics you can think of. So we train on standards-based grading, we train on technology, we train on uh, assessment literacy, we train on uh, working with technology and IT integration and um, working with and challenging your gifted students and, and classroom management and pretty much you name it, we do a lot of different training on things. Uh, the grid method just happens to be, I, I always refer to it, it's kind of our Big Mac. You know, it's okay. the thing that a lot of people or maybe even most people know us for. The grid method is, it's a methodology, right? But it seems like from what you just said, you can both deal with the kids in class who are struggling and deal with the kids in class who are brilliant and moving far faster than everybody else because the grid method focuses on what each student is doing and not the class. Is that yeah, correct? spot on. Yeah. So the, the and, that, and that's mastery learning in general. The, the biggest shift is that students it's student led the pace is led by the students. So it's, it's giving students the time that they need, whether that's more time or less time. So what's great about it is those students that need more time because they just don't grasp them quite as quickly. Maybe they need help reading through, they read a little slower, whatever it is, they can have that time. They can utilize that time, but that student that doesn't need that, that just gets it right away and just cruises through, they can move on and continue to uh, advance and, and challenge themselves and moving on based on how you set it up. So it allows for, Students be getting what they need when they need it versus getting what we think they need when we think they need it. That's so a, a way to look at it is to really simplify is if, if I said, all right, what's two plus two? And you said it's six. And I said, well, that's incorrect, but the rest of the class got it. So we're moving on to two right. times two. You're never going to get it because you don't even know the basis yet, right? Right. Versus, oh, okay, why do you think that? Let's work on that. And these students over here, they can move on because they got it. So now they're moving on to subtraction or they're moving on to, you know, addition and subtraction, whatever it might be, while I can now work with you and maybe you and the three other students in the small group that are all struggling with it to figure out why are we struggling to do it, giving you what you need when you need it versus everyone moves on. And by the time you hit fifth, sixth grade, you hate school. Yeah, if you're getting left behind, you're just getting pushed on. By the time you get to fifth or sixth grade, you're you hate school because you've just, you've been left behind, but you've been pushed through and now you just think you're dumb when the reality is, is maybe you just needed more time you or know, a different method. It's, it's a big shift from standing at the front of the room and delivering content to individualizing on the fly and, and giving every student what they need when they need it. That's amazing. I mean, cause I know like I've heard people talking where, you know, you have two choices of teaching your classroom. You could teach to the bottom third of kids, but then the top two thirds of kids are going to be bored all the time. Or you could teach to the top to the middle third and the top will be able to get it in Excel slightly and the bottom third, you hope that they catch up as much as they can. I mean, none of them sound very good. Every single one of them, you're like, yeah, but what about all those other kids? Well, that's the problem is a lot of times in, in college where teachers are taught to teach to the middle because you'll hit the bulk of your students. But the problem is what about the ones at the top and ones at the bottom? So when you look at mastery learning, now you're really focusing on the bottom and the top at the same time. Right. If you do that, you're going to hit everyone in the middle too. 
because they're leaning into one side or the other. So if you're letting them move when they can move, but helping them when they need help, you're hitting everyone. Right. And this is like mind boggling to me because I feel like so many of our, not all of it, but so much of our, of our jail problems and our, and our crime problems and drug problems Mm -hmm. and all this other stuff, it's to some degree or another rooted in school and whether or not kids were doing really well or whether or not they were having trouble with teachers who just gave them big issues. And, and this mastery concept that you're explaining to me right now, I love it because it sounds like it gives these kids the, the ability to feel successful when they're young so Absolutely. that when they get older, they don't have to look for success through drugs or, or crime or anything else. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of other things that can, you know, contribute to, you know, lives going off the tracks. I mean, like that of course. piece is in, in school and that success. And if I'm feeling like I'm dumb, then school is no way, there's no way it can be a potential outlet or avenue for me now because I'm dumb. So now I really don't care. So now I only have whatever problems I have at home. Right. And not to mention like if I haven't done well in school and I haven't gain the mastery of the content that I need to contribute to society, where am I going to go? I'm stuck, right? I have fewer opportunities than I may have already, already not had because of where I come from or, or whatever it might be. Now I have even fewer opportunities. So my choices are limited to maybe being into drugs or causing problems or crime of some sort. Like I'm less likely to get there. I'm more likely to, to struggle. And it just creates that, that circle of, of failure and, and that cycle of I'm not good enough. So I'm going to turn to this life. And yeah, you're right. So yeah, this is really cool. This concept you mentioned before when you were telling me your whole journey, how you jumped around to different career paths about how you and Chad had gotten this thing started. You know, you had met him in the music industry and continued to maintain mm-hmm. that connection. The basis for the idea more comes from Chad or from your end? So the grid method itself was created by Chad in his classroom. College classroom or high school classroom? Uh, And actually in a middle school classroom. Middle school? Middle school, yeah. Yeah, he taught middle school, so you know he's crazy. (laughs) No, he was a seventh grade science teacher when he created that. And so then he brought it to me in, I think it was kind of a combination because the the concept of the grid method was his, but this crazy idea to like, start something to share with the world was mine. And then once I got him on board with that, then it was just game over because we just started going. And, and then, you know, now we, we brought it, we have awesome team members in, in Ray Hewitt and Tiffany Ott who have brought a whole nother level of educational theory and pedagogy and stuff to the team, which has allowed us now to, that's why we've expanded way beyond just the good method and other things and gone from there. Right. Now I had read that this whole idea had been formed in a classroom. Does that mean that he had formed it while he was teaching this classroom? Does that mean that the middle school kids were helping him and giving him feedback and talking to him about what would work better? Yeah, they did. So it came from, you know, he had struggled. And so then it was at the end of the one year that he just basically decided he needed to go figure out another job or figure out how to do this right. And he went to, he started researching. Chad's a scientist by trade, actually, before he became a teacher, he was a scientist. And so he started really dissecting like his problems and looking for the research to show him what, what would work. And he found a lot of things and it all pointed to mastery learning and personalized learning and self, you know, self-paced uh, classrooms. But he, he couldn't find any solutions out there that said, hey, this is how you actually make it work. Because if you think about it, think about a classroom full of 20 to 30 students all moving at their own pace, doing different things at different times. Like it's, that's what like nightmares are made of, yeah. right? It can be really <laughs> crazy. So problem is in mastery learning for decades, I mean, some, like 50, 60 plus years, like the research has said, hey, mastery learning will work better, period. The problem is there was no real thing that said, hey, here's how you do it without going insane. Uh, and so he pieced together his things out of necessity. And yeah, and then it, so then he started implementing it in his classroom that next fall. 
And yes, working with the students and surveying the students and talking with them and, and finding out like what's working, how it's working. And, he, and then he saw the, the success they were showing really sort of spoke for itself, but he did a lot of tinkering to get it to where it needs to be over a couple of years. And that's where, and when he just started, eventually he figured it out and it just became the way he was going to teach from then on. And then that's, then I kind of came into the picture and. Okay. So then just to walk us through it again. So he came to you with the idea of doing an ebook. Uh, mm-hmm sort of making a little bit of money, sort of sharing it with the No, world. not even not even about money in any way, shape, or form when he came to me. It was all about he was based, so essentially he was getting stopped in the hallway by the teachers. There's actually a couple of times where he's late to his class because he couldn't get away from his colleague, which is great because they wanted to learn. But his thought was, hey, maybe if I just put something on online, they can go like get the bulk of the information and then just ask me questions later. Right. And I told him I'm like, I think one, yeah, we might be able to make some money on this but more importantly like this can change the world this is going to change the way people think about teaching and so then i when i sort of painted the vision that i saw when he was speaking to me he started saying okay so how do we do that and then we started figuring out like well how do we do this and i'm like well we're going to share it all with everyone for free we're going to create all kinds of content we're just going to start just sharing it and that took a little bit for him to to get, to get over when i'm i literally you know it's a, free, it's a free online course we have a we essentially create things, you know, we have paid courses, we do pay training, we do all this stuff, but we provide enough stuff on our website where someone could come in and learn how to do the grid method and never spend a dime. Uh, and oh. that was important to us because we decided early on, we didn't want to build this based off of taking money from teachers. We okay. would gladly, gladly take money from school districts who are getting funding from, you know, states and taxes and stuff to do things like that. I'm on your website. I'm looking at your pricing. Like, I feel like in, in the larger budget of a school district, it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, it depends on the school district you talk to. So we figured out it's crazy the difference um, <laughs> between issues. We can literally have two phone calls back to back and one will be like, your pricing is just, we just can't afford it. It's so expensive. That one would be, oh yeah, your pricing is like the cheapest thing we spend money on in a decade. Right. Um, so it really depends on, you know, the school budgets are so crazy and where they come from. As far as state funding in most states, the schools that are struggling get the most state funding. But the problem is like the schools that are doing well, it doesn't mean they're doing the best they can do. So they need training. They need improvement. They need to grow. Those teachers want to learn. They want to take on new methods. They want to be better every day. Uh, so some of those schools just struggle to get it. Um, and, you know, some of those schools also, you know, they tend to get higher tax dollars, but most of the time tax dollars, taxpayers want their tax dollars to go to things like having quality buildings and roofs and and desks and right that's the physical tangible things that they can see so of course they want that be in you know, place versus trenches because they don't always necessarily understand that right absolutely so yeah our pricing we think is pretty fair it just depends on who you're talking to uh we work pretty we work with districts like we, we customize pretty much everything we have like basic stuff on the site but we really customize just about everything because no district no building no particular community's needs are the same so we we adjust and create different types of packages and stuff all the time so i love it i didn't see it on your website do you guys have like a mission statement yes our mission is, is to help teachers create uh, environments where every student thrives in the classroom. It's really basic and broad because that's just basic. That's what it is. It's, yeah, no, uh, but- I think we, we might have, we might end up changing that to the fact that we just want teachers to teach better. I think that's the easiest, simplest way. That might be the easiest and simplest. But I'm saying what I love is that your mission statement is focused on the teacher. Like you said before, you're creating all this stuff and putting it up online that if a teacher in the school by themselves decides that they want to do it, they can learn mm-hmm. enough and implement it without spending a dime. But then if they get excited about it and they explain to the district, 
and the district gets interested in bringing it in, it can change the entire district and they can, the district can, you can make money that you need to make there. But like, you know, cause a lot of people yeah. will do stuff like this and be very focused on the money. Cause like, we gotta be, we gotta be able to get paid and we're not, we, we don't know where our money is going to be coming from. So we got to make sure it's coming, you know, but you guys have, have figured out how to make it available for the individual, but to make your money from the group in a way that I think works really nicely. Yeah. It's a, it's a unique thing because you know, 95% of the content we put out, the things we do, the events we go to, everything like that is geared towards the teacher who we don't, I mean, there's, we have online courses and we have online subscription things and stuff that teachers can, but we're like, we don't like, that's not where the bulk of our revenue is. That's not, there's no big tickets there. Like, and everything we do is focused on the teachers when the people who, you know, give us our sales and give us the revenue to survive are actually not the teachers, the the districts. But what we found early on is if if you get some teachers excited about it and they go in and they start seeing success and they're changing the way they teach and their impact in students, the district's going to call you. Oh yeah. Uh, And that's what, and so that's allowed us to really have to very to do very very little like cold calls and things of that nature. The majority of our business comes from either referrals or people reaching out to us because a teacher got really excited or multiple teachers got really excited and, and gone from there. And you know it's it's a long process. It can be a very long process. You know we have we've had we have districts that we're working with where a teacher found us two three years ago, and it wasn't until two years of them you know, pushing their, their principal or their admin or whatever to look into it that they finally did. And then we work with them. So it's a long-term game. And I mean, when we, when we first started, you know, Chad and I were working, we both had full-time jobs outside of that. And we, you know, we were working this from about nine or 10 PM until, you know, one or two, three AM before we got up and went to work and stuff. And it was about 18 months. We hadn't, we, we didn't make a dime and uh, it was, not easy, but we put it into it. We we believed in what we were doing, believed in what we had, and we knew it was a long term game. And so we really focused on the fact that like let's just continue to build this and help and maybe somewhere down the road we'll make something of it. But at the very least, we're gonna impact some teachers, which is gonna impact some kids, and that was really the focus from from day one. That's awesome. That's really, really inspiring. You mentioned before that you dropped out of college no less than three times. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which is not a recommendation or anything. I don't try to like. I'm not recommending. Oh, oh, you're, oh, you're not saying that that's the secret to success. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I do, I do believe that college needs to change, but I don't think that's the secret to success is dropping out. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> when you were hitting this moment of failure, right? I mean, three different times that you were in college and you were working towards it, and then you realize you had to stop, you had to drop out, you had to take a step back, you're all out again. How did you feel in that moment of failure? Well, essentially, because when I did it, like I didn't, I wasn't at that point necessarily. So the first time I, I dropped out was just because I was just, I was immature. I was stupid. I just wasn't ready. And I literally just stopped going. Like there, was, there wasn't a point where I was like, oh, I'm struggling. It was just, I would just didn't go. I didn't want to go to class. I had no interest in being there. I wanted to start my own thing at the time. I was playing in bands. Like I wanted to be a rock star and have a record label. And I was in there learning about, I don't even remember. So like, I just stopped going, which by the way, does great wonders for your grade point average when you just don't go. Uh, Cause you know, <laughs> like when, you, when you withdraw, you leave with whatever your GPA was. When you stop going, they give you F's. Believe it or right. Not. So when I went back, when I went back the first time that I went back, I went to go back and they're like, yeah, you can't come here. You have a 0.00 grade point average. I was oh, like, oh that's how that works. <laughs> uh, so I actually had to work, you know, do a, a, a branch college to get myself, my grades back up and do it. And that was a crazy thing. Like I had to take four, 
four classes over a summer in order to get into the main campus. And I got four A's. Like, you know, when I had that, I did really well. And then I got back in, spent two years at the main campus after working so hard to get back into it. And, uh, withdrew that time. That was just like, I, that was when the label took off and, and I was at the point where I, you know, I'm like, I just can't keep doing this. I'm not doing well. I'm not doing well now because I'm too focused and I don't want to be here. Every second that I'm in this classroom, I'm not working on, on my business. So I left. So, and then the third time again was, you know, I went back and I was doing well and was into it, but I just, this started to do better. This business started to grow. And again, I said, I just can't, it, this isn't worth it for all the stress because I don't need it right now. Both times that I left the second two, the second, third time were because it wasn't the right path. So the first time was because I just failed out. Like I wasn't, I was young and dumb and didn't do it right. And I, I probably shouldn't have went. I probably should have went and worked for a few years to get some responsibility and just grow up a little bit before I went yeah. and took that on. The second two times were because I had businesses that were going and, and I needed to, I, I wanted to focus on that. The, you know, the first time, the second time, I don't know, but it was the right move for me. Yet I struggled with, you know, Google was a thing at the time. Like Google was out now. Like, and, I could Google faster than you could teach me. Like right. I just, I, I believe I st- and I believe today, like, I mean, and it could, if it's Google or in a few years, I mean, who knows? It could be whatever as the time comes, whatever your search engine or, or YouTube, whatever you call it. Like, I believe that's one of the best skills we can possibly teach kids is how do you do that? But all, like, not just how do you utilize, but how do you find the right resources? How do you find legit resources, quality uh, resources? But I can Google and teach myself nine out of 10, things better than you can ever teach me. Now, if I'm in a very specialized field like medicine or something, obviously that's not the same thing. But for me, I was going to school for for business. I was trying to learn business because I wanted to work in marketing and business and stuff. And, you know, by the time I was taking a class, half of what they were teaching me was outdated. Absolutely. And I could jump on YouTube or whatever, take a couple of webinars, download some free things from people and learn everything that I was hoping to get out of college. I could learn without it. And it just didn't make sense to keep stressing out and, and doing that, you know, just doing tasks because that's what I was supposed to do in college. And it's just, so it just didn't make sense at the time. Right. It sounds like the first time was out of failure. Out immaturity. Of atrophy. <laughs> yeah. Immaturity. Yeah. And then, and then later on it was, it was a prioritization thing, which, which is, cool. yeah, it was just, it just, it, not, you know, I just finally realized it just, it just wasn't the right, the right path for me. Absolutely. So, and it's, it's amazing when people are able to recognize that this is not what I'm supposed to be doing, but I should be doing something else, but that doesn't make it the yeah. wrong path. No. And it took me a while to get there. Cause I kept wanting to go back and I kept wanting to go back. And even when I stopped this last time, I still wanted to go back. And then I, it, it honestly wasn't just a couple of years ago. And I found this, I'm like, I don't know why I want to go back. And it was the only reason I wanted to go back because that's what you were supposed to do. Like I was still living in this world where like when I grew up, like that's what you're supposed to do. You went to school, you, you did your best in high school. So you get decent grades and get into a college and you worked hard to get that. So you could get a degree and get a job. And I said, well, I don't want a job. I'm going to build my own thing. So why do I need that? It doesn't make any sense. But you know, for, for a lot of people, it makes complete sense. You know, it's just, so it really just, it just depends on the person. So yeah. So that's why I say it's not something I recommend. It's just something that, that was the right move for me. Right. Do you have any other moments of failure in your life you could share with us? Yes. I mean, the biggest one is definitely when the record label, um, when I had to end that, that was just such a big thing. You know, I had that for about five, seven years Wow. and I 
done, you know, I got to do some awesome things with it. You know, I traveled around the country speaking at music conferences, did some in Canada, you know, I had artists that traveled to Europe and, and toured and, you know, a lot around here. And we were nothing massive or anything, but I was working hard to, I was trying to become the guy in Northeast Ohio or one of the guys, gals, people in Northeast Ohio that could help local acts go to the next level. Like that was my goal. And I, we were, I felt like we were on the way. We had good things going. I had good artists on there. We built this family. Uh, and there, it, the record label was called FTF Records. So, like in the local scene, I was Jeff TF. That was you know, what everyone knew me as. And you know, I, I kind of felt like I was somebody, you know, quote unquote. And yeah. um, you know, when we got to the point where where I just had to make that decision, you know, I had to go to my artist and tell them like I can't help you anymore. Like there was one artist I had to say who was who's a ridiculously talented artist who I had to say. I can't finish your album. We can't finish this record that we've been working on that you are so pumped about. Like I oh can't, I'm just, I can't do it. And I had to do this. I closed I had to fire. You know, I had a, a system that was on my office manager. I had to let her go and just interns that were working and uh, people that were involved. And I had to, everyone was going to know this thing that this is why I dropped out of college. This is why I wasn't doing what all my friends were doing and getting the degree and getting the job like you're supposed to. I was doing this thing, Jeff's crazy dream. And, now it was just failure and all this stuff. And I just, I basically disappeared. I just stopped talking to people. I, and I tried to hide myself the best I could um, from everyone. It just went and got a job, did my thing and hit it pretty well. But I was, I mean, that was pretty much rock bottom for me to the point where I just, I didn't know who I was, what I was doing. I just felt like I just had failed everyone. My wife had stuck by me for, you know, through all the craziness of starting a business and doing things and taking risks and my family who had supported me and all of my friends and everyone who would like back me. And I just had let them all down. And I just, I eventually got to the boiling point where I was in my hallway one day and just like hit my back against the wall, fell down to the floor and just, just lost it. Just started crying. Just, I had nothing left. I was, I had been trying for almost six months to like, hide it and keep it all bottled up on how bad I felt and how depressed I was. And I just lost it. And, uh, my wife came by and, you know, obviously concerned and asked me what was going on. And I said, I'm like, if I'm not Jeff TF, who am I? And my wife, she like, she doesn't realize it. She still doesn't realize it to this day. I don't think what she, what she said now it hit me, but she looked at me and she's like, well, you're Jeff and I love you. And she walked away. <laughs> and I'm like, and I wish I could say that like that was like everything was fine after that, but it wasn't. But I still like I literally I picture that every day because I thought to myself, and, and in that moment, not at that exact second, but from that moment, I started just just sort of embodying myself and to always remind myself that if you're not enough without the success that you're seeking, then you're never going to be enough with it. And that totally, by the way, just connects. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Cool Runnings. Greatest movies ago. ever about the Jamaican bobsled team. But there's, yeah, a, moment, there's a scene in the hotel room. There's a scene in the hotel room before the, like, the final race. And Darice, who's like the driver and like the, you know, the star of the movie, is talking to his coach who had been banned from Olympics because he cheated way back when after winning two gold medals. And he's so coach, I want to ask you a question. Da, da, da. And the coach is like, well, you want to know why I cheated? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, I had made winning my whole life. When you make winning your whole life, you have to keep winning. And he said, but you had it all. You had gold medals. And his response, Coach Irv said, you know, gold medals are an amazing thing, but if you're not enough without them, you'll never be enough with them. Right. And Dury said, well, how will I know if I'm enough? And he said, when you cross that finish line, you'll know. And like, it's crazy like that this Disney movie like just speaks to me. But that, that moment in my hallway was the same moment she just didn't realize that she was saying it. That was my 
my moment of just crushing. So then when I've, since then, every time I've started a business and it's either done okay and then went away or failed, my mind that has been me crossing the finish line again and again and again and finding out, am I enough without it? And I've figured out that I am because I'm, I know what I'm trying to do. I'm focused on trying to help people. I have a wife and family that love me. I have good intentions in my life so that I know I'm good enough without the success I'm seeking. So therefore, I feel like that has allowed me now to chase these big, crazy dreams that we have. Um, so that was a moment where failure just, I mean, that was the worst that I, you know, but I, from it has come just sort of my, my internal mantra that I live by is that if you're not enough without success, you're never going to be with, enough with it. So you have to figure out who you are, be self-aware and be happy with the person you are, not the title you have or the success you've shown or whatever it might be. Right. And what your wife had said to you, I feel like it maybe helped you remove your identity from that previous success that you had. Yeah. Yeah. I had attached my entire identity to my role, my, my job, the, you know, what people thought of me and, and called me versus who I was. Yeah. Which is why when that went away, I was lost. Right. That's amazing. And then I love what you keep on saying, how you say that, you know, if you're not enough without it, you're never going to be enough with it. That's exactly. How do you fight the fear of failure? That right there. This is what I just said. So the, the, the thing with the fear of failure is that that was going to stop me from ever trying to chase my dream. And my dream is to create something of my own that impacts people. And everything I've done, you know, everything I've started had that intention. It was in different ways, you know, with the label, it was to create something that helped artists chase their dreams. You know, now we are creating something that's helping teachers not only impact students, but also impact their own lives and, and have better lives and things of that nature. So like by realizing who you are and what you're trying to do versus what you've done or what title you carry or whatever that is, you can look at the, the, the opportunity. So anytime I've looked at thought of, I come up with a crazy idea or someone's brought an idea to me because they know I'm crazy and we'll try it. I've thought I'm scared to death. To try this because of how that ended before and how I felt. But then I remind myself, but it, that doesn't matter because who I am and what I'm trying to do is what matters. And so that's how I break through that, that fear of failure and just do it anyway. Okay. That's awesome. What are you passionate about? I know we've touched upon the music and the artistry over there, and we've touched upon the teachers. Do you have other passions? Uh, I'm really, it's, me, it's just, I'm passionate about, I love working with people and helping people achieve something, really, whether it's big, small, whatever. I love okay. being able to work with people to do something that they want to do. Like, so, I mean, I, I do a lot of, when I see someone that's that I know or that I run into or whatever that's like trying to start something or build something, I just I can't help but be like just drawn to them and, and tell and like offer my my help and just to chat with them and whether it's grabbing a cup of coffee or you know connecting on Voxer and chatting back and forth. I love working with people and helping them in any way, shape, or form, whether it's big or small, to to chase their dream and to be better and to do something and just creating things. Nice. Has following your passions brought you success? Yes, absolutely. I'm where I'm at because of that. I, there was, I've left multiple positions that pay me much more than what we pay me now. Uh, <laughs> that had, that had, you know, more solid foundations with a more quote unquote guarantee or whatever realistic 
future like we don't know where we're at you know we don't know what this where this is gonna go like i can make a mistake tomorrow that messes this entire things up and ruins it but my passion again has always been f- about creating something building something that has an impact and so that has led me to everywhere i am that's led me to to step away from positions that maybe i shouldn't have and maybe at the times that i shouldn't have but i just going through and my passion has been what's led me from it made me realize that i just i'm not built to work for someone else i'm more i'm built to work with people that doesn't mean that i always have to be the boss or anything like that but i have to be i have to work with people to build something that i care about that i believe in or else i just can't do it that's awesome. I completely understand where you're coming from. I'm very similar. <laughs> very similar. <laughs> yeah, I know you are. All right. And how do you define success and or greatness? I think, I, I think that the biggest thing is being, it's, it's fulfillment. So, I mean, it's not in my mind, it's not a title. It's not years at this place or that place. It's not a salary piece. It's not net worth. It's not, what your retirement looks like. It's none of that. It's you being fulfilled and that can come in a million different ways for a million different people. But it's for me, it's, it's knowing that whatever I'm doing and whatever I've done has impacted people in a positive way. And, you know, and that might not be the same for everyone else. You know, there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different things, but it's been put my head on the pillow at night and, and feel good about what I'm doing and what I've done. And I think if you can get to the point where you do that, like, I mean, you can, you can have a great job and make a lot of money and live a very good lifestyle and take lots of trips and have a blast and have everything you ever thought you wanted. But if you can't lay your head down at the, at the end of the day and know and feel good about how you got there and what you do, then that's not successful. That's just rich or, or, you know, financially stable. And there's a very big difference. But if you, because there are a lot of people who don't make a lot of money, who don't have fancy houses or fancy cars or can't go on vacations, but love what they do and feel good about what they do and have pride in what they do. And that to me is is success. I love how you just went through and you listed all these external things, right? You know, riches and and titles and, and businesses and positions and all this, all these external things that a lot of people often consider to be the, the markers of success. Mm-hmm. And you said, nope, not a single one of those. It's all internal. It's all literally <laughs> how you feel. And if you feel good about what you're doing, then you're successful. And if you don't, <laughs> then you're not. And it's, I think that's a very good point. It, success is not external. It's internal. It's how do I feel that I accomplish this particular goal? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes, that I'm successful. It, to myself yeah exactly and now that that goal may be like if you're the most important thing in your life is to create a financial stability or financial position to where your kids can do xyz or something then the financial success may be what leads you to be able to put that lay your head down on the pillow but again it's got to it's internally it can't be what other people what society has deemed as quote-unquote successful it's got to be what it is to you to someone, some people that might be like a certain level of money and that's fine if that's what it is and that, that's what makes you feel good and that makes you feel like you've done and you're proud of what you've done, then that's what needs to happen. Absolutely. I love it. All right. So we're going to close off now. And what I like to do is I like to leave off with one concrete idea that people can put into play today to help them on their way to greatness. One idea, one task, one thought, just something concrete that people can put into play immediately. 
what would you suggest to our listeners to put into place right take, now? Take the time to seriously, seriously reflect on yourself, what you're trying to do, what you've done, where you're going, and figure out exactly who you are and what you're trying to do. And then from now on, make sure everything you're doing aligns with that. So basically take a moment of self-reflection and determine what your own mission is and then realign all of your activities towards your mission. Yes. Okay. And, and that might take a long time to get there and that's okay. But everything you do should be helping you and leading you on your path to whatever that is, that is your success. That is your fulfillment. That is your greatness inside yourself, whatever it is that that is. And you need to become really aware of that first and then look at everything you do every single day and figure out, is that leading me to where I'm trying to go? And if it isn't figure out how you can change that and that change and that adjustment might take years or decades. I don't know, but figure it out and then make the changes and do what you need to do. Too many people are working jobs that they hate. And we spend more than 60% of our lives at our jobs. So therefore, the majority of people literally hate the most of, the majority of their lives. And that just boggles yep. my mind. Spending the whole week like, just waiting for the weekend. The whole Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I hate it. Like, I always, like Joe, it, it sounds bad when I say it, but I'm like, I hate the weekends. Well, like I don't hate, I don't actually hate them, but like, because I love spending time with my family and stuff like that. But like, I hate the weekend in the sense of like, I don't get to, like, I love working. Like, don't I'm feel just, productive. I love, I, yeah, when I don't feel productive, I don't like it. Um, I typically work here and there and stuff. You know, I love the weekends because of, I, it's extra time with my, my kids and my family. We get to do fun stuff and like that. I just don't, like, I love Mondays. And like, <laughs> and then I'll let us go here. But like, I hate Facebook on Sunday evening. <laughs> A lot of people hate Facebook all in general, but I like, and there's times where I hate Facebook in general, but I hate Facebook on Sunday evenings because all it is is a bunch of people complaining about how they're going to spend the next five days of their life. And I'm like, five out of seven days that you're complaining about right now, like you're already ready for Friday and it's not even Monday morning yet. And I'm sitting here going, so essentially like you've already like just wasted the next five days of your life. Add that up over time. I'm like, man, if you were just hating everything, about what's about to happen tomorrow morning, you need to do something to change it. I'm not saying it's easy because it's not. And I'm not saying it's going to be quick because it's not. But you need to do something about it because like, it's just not worth it. Yeah, it's a couple of quick points. First of all, you had mentioned about the weekends, You know, always looking forward to Monday. There is this concept that I've seen and I don't remember where, but basically being able to do leisure time properly is actually very productive even though it doesn't feel productive for like people mm-hmm. are like always like, Oh, I got to be working, got to be working, got to be working. It actually is very productive. It helps us to relax, recharge and be able to do our work when we get back to the work. So if, yeah. And I try to tell myself that all the time. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're, no, you're spot easy. on. I, it's not easy to it's do, important. but like, I'm just, you know, no, but it's, no but it is, it's important. Case. It's very important. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're going to be much more productive when you have a clear head. Absolutely. And, and the other, and you reset. The other thing I want to just bring out quickly is based on your one concrete thing to take forward, when people are sitting down and doing that moment of self-reflection, it doesn't have to be specific. You don't have to decide, I really want to spend my life helping middle school-aged kids do better with their musical art. You don't have to be specific like that. You can be very meta with this. You can, as a, for instance, with Jeff over here, he is 
his main focus is to help people do better at what they're doing. So he can apply that to any field. Mm-hmm. He applied it first to music. Now he's applying it to teaching. But if you have a very meta idea, I want to be able to help people be more passionate. I want to be able to help people do this. I want to be able to inspire people to greatness. Whatever it is you decide is your meta, then you can start work pathways towards that meta. And it may be, it may be that that's not the right pathway, but you can shift pathways and still be going towards your main goal. So you don't have to be so specific and you don't have to worry about figuring out exactly what you want to do. You can just have an idea of what you're all about, what internally fulfills you and just follow that pathway. Spot on, man. Cool. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you coming on. I think we all appreciate you coming on. I mean, this has been epic and informative and everything else. Well, I appreciate you having me on, man. It was a pleasure and an honor. All right. Terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lisa Fenton wrote, wonderful discussion. Love the theme. Look at what I've grown through. So inspirational. Thanks for sharing. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button because I want you to learn all about how people traveled on their way to greatness. Thank you for listening to the Way to Greatness podcast, where we explore the journey from failure and mediocrity to success and greatness. Keep moving on your way to greatness. Join us next week for more stories, inspirations, and interviews to help you achieve the greatness within you.